Welcome to the Design the Future podcast, where we talk with women leading the way towards a better built world. Design the Future is hosted by me, Lindsay Baker, with Kira Gould. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Design the Future podcast. It's good to be with you. This is Lindsay. And this is Kira. And yeah, I am coming to you live from a hotel room at Greenbuild. Woohoo! <laughs> Apologies I, I for any serious FOMO of, of the oh, man. degree. I mean, I can't even. I'm like, what was I thinking? Not going to Greenfield this year. Okay, sorry. It's totally fine. It is totally <laughs> fine. We I'm sure that it is going to be fun. But if it makes you feel better, it's unseasonably cold and rainy here in Washington, DC. Okay. Um, I hope that everyone listening to this recording a few weeks from now has not come down with various colds and things that would uh, <laughs> you could attribute to having been here in DC. It's supposed to be like 85 degrees next week, but this week, yeah, it's basically cold and rainy. So you're not missing out on any like fabulous sunny rooftop yeah, gatherings. Lindsay, I'm not in it for the weather. <laughs> I'm in it for I the guess people. I know that. All y'all are there. <laughs> Oh, it's true. It is really lovely to see people. And yeah, Greenville is just always kind of a wonderful random spot that way where like people, I don't know, I see people that I've known for over 20 years now. And it's just kind of a delightful thing to to hear if you're not crossing paths with them, like, yeah. what are they up to? And yeah, I, saw, I, well, I sure. saw a woman I haven't seen for almost 20 years who told me that like her small child who I remember meeting as like a three-year-old on calls when we were writing lead for schools is now uh, like in college and pursuing a degree like related to this stuff. Oh, and I was just like, Whoa. that's amazing. <laughs> oh, that makes yeah. me happy. That really makes that's me happy. Cool. I love that. That's awesome. Well, you're in Greenbelt coming after a week of climate week in New York too. So I think probably you're not the only one, but yeah, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah. It's a big two for week for a lot of folks. Our listeners might be able to hear that I have a bit of a, a bit of a head cold um, as a result of all of the people that I interacted with in the past week, but New York climate week was great. I have to say for those of you that have never thought about attending, I just want to put in a plug. I think it it is a really meaningful place to meet with people across industries that are all working on climate and across roles too. There's a lot of activists there. There's a lot of government officials there. I was joking around that <laughs> this will become relevant in a few minutes, but also it's one of the only times that all the Europeans come to the US to like talk about climate with us. So I feel very you know, right. much like we're 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 in the host uh, spot, and that's fun. But yeah, it was. It's really it's it's a really special week. I helped a few folks navigate the craziness of it that had never been before, and and that was fun. Yeah, it's, it's certainly much more broad. So it's nice to be kind of with just friends this week at Greenville. Yeah. generally what it feels like. Yeah. Well, and I saw that ILFI and others had a big announcement about a collaboration. Oh yeah, yeah. That yeah. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about it more on the podcast soon. But we, we finally announced that we've made collective progress, which is the hard, hardest kind of progress to make on this thing that we're now calling the ECHO Project. It stands for Embodied Carbon Harmonization and Optimization Project. 
And it's basically, it's between us and USGBC and the Carbon Leadership Forum, Building Transparency, Architecture 2030, and then a whole bunch of the professional association carbon commitment groups like AIA 2030 commitment. Yep. Those folks and MEP and all, you know, all the other yeah. ones, structural engineers that we're all going to try to collect embodied carbon data in the same way with the same scope so that it allows us to compare across different programs. And this is for whole building, not product by product. So it's been a big kind of experiment in how to get a bunch of organizations who are all very different, very different sizes and different yeah. ideologies and structures and all of that to kind of agree something that I know frustrates the industry. So it's been um, it's been nice, nice to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really big deal. I mean, it's it's kind of a, it's a little bit of a wonky thing, but so important in terms of, you know, just making sure we're all having the same conversation. It's going to, in my view, I think it's really going to accelerate progress. And I think that's what is so exciting about it. So hopeful. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we're excited. I definitely, I, I don't know, I'm feeling like it's important for the community to know, like, just how long these kinds of things can take to really work through our differences and figure out what everybody wants to agree on when it comes to an important issue like body carbon. So yeah, there's a lot more to come, but we're excited for the progress. It's also just nice to make an announcement at the, at the beginning of Green Build, because then for people sure. are like, you know, just coming up to you and saying things. So we're happy that that it came together but yeah yeah lots going on at green build and one of the things that i am delighted about about being here on the road is that i have gotten to spend a lot of time recently with our guest for today so i want to take this opportunity to introduce victoria burrows to the show thanks so much for being with us victoria thank you so much for having me ladies this is wonderful well, we are very honored to have you. As you might be able to tell, Victoria is usually in Europe. And so we got her during this uh, couple of weeks that she is stateside to talk about all of her incredible work. So before we get into that, I just want to give a little bio of Victoria. Victoria is the Manager of Portfolio Development and Industry Partnerships at Compass VC, which is an early stage venture capital firm backing breakthrough innovation in the built environment and manufacturing industry. Victoria has dedicated her career to radically improving the sustainability of the built environment by transforming the way that it is designed, constructed, operated, and repurposed. As director of Advancing Net Zero at the World Green Building Council, Victoria was responsible for a pioneering global program to accelerate total decarbonization of the sector by 2050. No big deal. She holds a degree in architecture and environment design from the University of Nottingham in the UK and co-authored the book, A Whole System Approach to High Performance Green Buildings. Victoria brings a combination of technical and strategic expertise to Compass's mission to identify the approaches, solutions, and technologies needed to transform the sector. Based in France, which is super lovely, Victoria supports the portfolio of decarbonization technology investments by forging impactful industry partnerships and providing public policy insight to help navigate the constantly evolving regulatory landscape. So we're going to get into all of this because the Compass transition is a new one for Victoria. And I am I hope many people are aware of her amazing work with the World Green Building Council. But before we do that, Victoria, will you just start off and tell us a little bit about how and why you got involved in the sustainable building industry? What's been your path? Thank you. And, you know, it's been 
really nice to receive these questions from you guys and, and listen to a few of the podcasts you've recorded before and hear some of these amazing stories and, and give a bit of reflection to that time because you know even when I first started at the World Green Building Council and certainly starting my journey in the sustainability space these concepts we're talking about today just simply weren't on on our radars and so I think it comes from a very early interest in the concept of sustainability you know doing more with what we have thinking about how the world's resources can sustain growth both from a population perspective but also you know a construction perspective my dad was in construction so I've absolutely grown up in that environment spending summers on construction sites with him and and seeing that in action so I, I think that interest in bringing those two concepts together started very early and so I went to university to study architecture and environmental design but it was actually the one hour a week module on environmental design that really caught my attention and that's really what I've built my career off you know thinking about passive design techniques and you know how we can make buildings be more efficient how they can use less that's really been the basis of my career and so I've been really fortunate to spend time working in design teams all over the world visiting and being inspired by different buildings seeing how you can improve their performance I've even been working on on major construction projects on the construction sites at all extreme degrees of temperature like in the snow the minus 20s in Finland oh that's degrees Celsius by the way <laughs> still very cold and so I've lived through all phases of the the building cycle and seeing how the decisions you make can really and significantly impact the building performance for the rest of that building's lifetime which will inevitably outlive us right so my move to World Green Building Council was actually motivated by a bit of frustration with the green building industry which I'm sure you both can appreciate I was working as a green building consultant at the time I'd been working on projects that were kind of looking at you know how they could get the highest performance level in certification schemes you know what points they'd get for certain systems you know would they implement a really genuinely viable sustainability measure or technique or system if it didn't help them towards their certification scheme you know that was really part of the unfortunately part of the, the thinking around the, the movement at the time and then I got to work for a, um, a company who was really genuinely trying to achieve better outcomes without chasing certification schemes which kind of gave me gave me the sense that there was more to it than chasing points and chasing credits. So the World Green Building Council started the Advancing Net Zero program right after COP21 with a sense that, you know, we need to do more than buildings that are a bit more green. We need to be really heading for that decarbonisation space and, and introducing that concept of net zero. So it was a great fit for me to spend time, I think it was about six and a half years working with World Green Building Council and in that space working with industry all over the world and, and helping them understand what a transition to a net zero built environment could look like and what we need to do together. Victoria, I, I love that story and so glad that you were able to channel those sort of frustrations with the industry into such a terrific role there. But we're catching you right now at a, a moment of transition from WGBC into this VC firm Compass. And I'm wondering, you know, this is a new space for you. Can you talk a little bit about that shift? Yeah. And yes, it is extremely fresh space for me. I'm literally week two into the role as we're recording this. So I think it comes from spending that time and reflecting on really 
what we've achieved in six and a half years, but frankly, how long it's taken us <laughs> to achieve that in six and a half years and how quickly 2030 is creeping up on us, right? It's, it's literally the same amount of time, you know, it's around the corner. So we've managed through the work with the World Green Building Council and working with other international organizations and through the work of the Green Building Councils, we've managed to develop a vision for total sector decarbonization on, on whole life carbon that's now reflected at COP in the UNFCCC Human Settlements Climate Action Pathway, working with the high level climate champions who represent the sort of non-state actor side of the COP process. Uh, you know, it's embedded within their strategy and vision more and more governments are setting net zero targets and implementing really ambitious policies all over the world. And we're also seeing lots of great targets being set by companies. As part of World Green Building Council, I was also part of developing the Net Zero Carbon Buildings Commitment, which was asking companies to set targets for net zero at scale, right? So I feel like we're at a moment where we're increasingly getting buy-in on what needs to happen <laughs> to achieve net zero in the built environment, why it needs to happen and when it needs to happen by. But all of those companies and governments setting targets need the solutions now to deliver it. We need to, to know how. And I'm, you know, as I say, from a consulting background, so I'm, I'm particularly interested in that how side of things and understanding how to increase access to solutions and initiatives, technologies, approaches that simply help companies and governments choose to make better choices, to make lower carbon choices, and for those choices to be easier than choosing the alternative high emissions approach. So I think the market needs not just a handful of solutions, it needs a whole suite of solutions for every part of the problem for decarbonizing the built environment that are attractive, that are cost effective, that have a high potential for reducing emissions and, and that's what's really motivated my move into venture capital and so Compass the firm that I've just joined is an early stage VC firm and we back breakthrough innovation to decarbonize the built environment as one of the main pillars but particularly with a focus on tech such as AI and robotics to increase efficiency through the value chain and so that's not just how buildings are used but it's also how they're built the materials they use and including of course how they're how they're operated and I really believe that some of the most powerful technologies are the ones that you might never even see you can just enjoy appreciate the fact that a building is more efficient or a, a material has been produced in a way that has meant less emissions and is available to you in the market and I think it's all about the accessibility of those materials so my particular role as part of the the non-investment team will, alongside the investment team will be supporting portfolio companies with added value creation beyond that initial investment to help them scale up with market entry and really help us understand what sorts of solutions that the world needs to help us deliver on those goals. I am so intrigued with this whole new realm that you're in. And, and I love the perspective <laughs> about the market really needing this suite of solutions for, for all the parts of the problem rather than just many, many things to choose from and really understanding how to be most effective. That's fascinating to me. We know that some of our listeners are folks who are either new in some part of this industry or are shifting from one place to another in the industry. And I'm just curious what you think people should know about entering this realm. And by this realm, I mean, actually, either of the ones that you have, have been in, you know, existing. <laughs> sure. You're obviously in a new one now, so you can answer that in whatever way is comfortable. <laughs> 
Well, actually, it's interesting, and I probably hadn't even thought about it until you mentioned it here as part of your question earlier, but there's a bit of a similarity between, you know, my experience as a consultant and what I went to World GBC to achieve and what I've been hearing through this, you know, initial time I've spent in venture capital from founders who all have one thing in common, no matter what their solution is, is that they've identified a problem, right? They've seen an issue, they've been like, this is not okay. <laughs> there has to be a better way to do this. I need to get out there and, you know, find a solution and then bring that to the people, right? That's that's the, the one thing that founders within the venture capital world have, have got in common. And that's why, you know, it's such a fascinating space to be in. And I think, you know, finding a finding a career or a or a pocket within a um a particular industry, you know, as you know, the built environment has so many different ways you can get involved. I think if you can be, you know, curious about what all those different options are, driven by solutions and be really solution focused. I'm going to talk about solutions a lot because I've just been reading that great book by Slaughter Townsend, The Solutionist. Have you guys read it? No, I have not read this, but no, I, oh, I've heard about it. Yeah, you like it? I highly recommend it. It's excellent. <laughs> yes. And I think it's that kind of, I guess, that drive literally you know that some people have in them to just be like you know what this this isn't this isn't okay this doesn't fit sit with me this doesn't feel, feel right and sometimes we make those decisions on a daily basis you know within our families or you know within our hobbies but finding a way that you can apply that to your work for me has been incredibly fulfilling but also I feel like we need a lot of practitioners within this space we've got lots of brilliant minds working on what we need to achieve we've got you know lots of thought leaders out there on how the built environment needs to shift but you know what we need is more plumbers, <laughs> more electricians and more solar panel installers and all the kind of, you know, the, the people that are absolutely critical to helping this transition and, and you know, helping us understand what how the built environment needs to change in order to deliver that. Because even I was hearing last week when we were in New York that local law 97, I mean, possibly the most advanced, aggressive regulation to improve the performance of existing buildings in the world. And it's, you know, addressing buildings in New York City, that there aren't enough engineers to evaluate and develop the strategies needed for the investment and installations. And then there's not enough people to do the installations, right? So I feel like, you know, whether you're inspired by that you know finding solutions or inspired by you know getting involved I think there's a huge there's a huge opportunity there for, for people who can help with the actual delivery of this stuff too because it's inevitable more regulations are coming and when those regulations come we need to deliver on them yeah oh my god it's nice to hear you say that about local law 97 by the way from the oh, angle yeah. that you have that like <laughs> that you feel like it is in fact like a white that you're watching it too because you know definitely um yeah, but no, it's absolutely true. That's a, such a good example of a place where the the practitioners themselves, everything that is needed is so huge that, yeah, I think it's it's important to remind us all, especially if you're somebody who's maybe feeling like, man, I'd really like to work with my hands more, you know, like, I, don't, I'm, I think I'm probably not alone in being somebody, but like, you know, on the weekends, I like to do things with my hands because it just helps me kind of, you know, get out of my head but we need a just so 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 many people in in uh in the field doing this work so yeah thank you for that well okay moving along to getting in a little bit more on the detail about your work just a moment of reflection as you are moving into this new moment if we can look back 
what are you most proud of accomplishing in your work life so far? Anything? Yeah, and as I say, I'm, I'm coming to you at a really, um, I guess, really special part of my career because I've just had the, the wonderful experience of kind of, you know, I've been leaving a company feeling really proud of, of what we've managed to achieve at the World Green Building Council, but knowing that I'm just one person as part of that ecosystem and that systemic change and getting lots of wonderful messages as I've been kind of making this transition. And, and so I have been spending a lot of time thinking about that. And I have been thinking right back to when I started at, at World Green Building Council. It was 2017 and we released a report on net zero buildings called From Thousands to Billions. And the reason we called it that was because there were a handful of buildings around the world that were already demonstrating that net zero was possible. And we needed to get from the like thousands of square feet or thousands of buildings to the millions and billions of square feet and buildings. And, and that's why we called it that title. And for some people working in the space, it was the first time they'd heard of net zero. I was coming into World Green Building Council with this project that was launched and 10 GBCs that were already on that journey. And then, you know, six and a half years later, we have 35 GBCs as part of Advancing Net Zero um, and Green Building Councils around the world engaging in regional projects. And so for me, that's just got to be the, the thing I'm most proud of in my career because that growth of engagement of Green Building Councils from like nothing to all 75 in, in one way or another when I first started, I called up a bunch of Green Building Council CEOs who, who weren't part of the initial group. And I asked them, you know, what does net zero mean for your market? Like, how come you're not in the project yet? Um, what, you know, what would you like to see from the, from the project? And some of them told me, you know, our governments aren't engaged. You know, we're still focusing on energy efficiency. Net zero isn't relevant for my market. It's not possible. And then six, six years later, we're in a position where they have full-blown advancing net zero programs in their markets, you know, design competitions, accredited professional training programs, you know, enormous conferences that bring everyone from across the sector in their countries into, into one space. So I think it's really that power of, of inspiration that we've managed to channel through the program to different markets around the world who... Firstly, maybe hadn't heard of net zero yet or that sort of concept being applied to buildings and built environments and, and now having fully established programs. So on a, on a professional level, that's that's got to be the thing that I am really proud of. And, and, you know, for the whole team at, at World Green Building Council for that progress within such a relatively short amount of time is yeah, something that I'm, I'm really proud of. And um, it's, ama it's amazing. You just said, Lindsay, about, you know, doing something with your hands because on a personal level, I think you know already that I live in France in a tiny little hamlet on a hill and managed to do all of that from there. And I have, have a few properties that I love doing DIY or, or home renovations on. I think seeing the potential in an old building, whether it's a, a barn or you know, an old building that just needs a bit of a bit of TLC, a bit of tender loving care, seeing the potential in it, you know, using your hands to give it a new lease of life and, and leave it better than when you found it. I think um, I'm hoping that one day the energy performance of homes when you're buying or renting them will be just as desirable as a new kitchen. <laughs> but I have to say on days when I feel really overwhelmed, because frankly, you know, what we've been talking about, this challenge is enormous and is just 
so much bigger than than one individual or one organization can change and so I find that you know stepping out of my office and and, and going and I don't know building a wall or, or tiling <laughs> tiling a floor or something like that is a really good reminder of what we can achieve if we just take it step by step and then I also when I have my dad and my husband around and we're working on something together you know we can get something done a lot faster and, and quicker if we do it together so I'm really grateful to have those constant reminders literally at my fingertips of of what our actions towards this massive goal are contributing to even if on on, on some days it feels a bit a bit like <laughs> trying to swim against the current <laughs> uh, I love this so much and I I guess I just also have to say that you continue to be such an inspiration in the way that you live your life in this beautiful place and work on yeah on 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 caring for buildings in the way that you do it's uh yeah it's lovely this also reminds me Lloyd Elter wrote a piece uh, on his blog just a I don't know past week or so and it was talking about how we we are at that point now in our fight against climate change where one should have to justify the knocking down of a building under fairly you know harsh critique because yeah. because it in fact is, there are so many buildings out there that just need the love. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that you are able to to find the opportunity to to give some some love. Yeah, that's it. I am really fortunate, you know, because of because of where we found ourselves in that little pocket of French countryside. But I also think I don't know. Maybe it's the you know being in that environment or being literally on a hill and surrounded by forest and, and nature. You know that it. If I feel like it gives me energy as well to be able to do you know what I need to do and the drive to work remotely and sit in front of my laptop all day. <laughs> so I, for me, and it's also a little bit about the balance between the two, right? You've got something very intense that we're trying to work on during the day and then having something that you can kind of physically work on and, and see the two kind of more abstract or more physical. And I was thinking about that on the train ride to DC actually, because, you know, last week in New York was, was crazy. There was so much happening, so many events, so many people, so many great conversations, but then I get to go home <laughs> to my little pocket of the countryside in France and sort of reset and recalibrate, I suppose. And then, get the energy back to to do it again, you know, when we need to for big events like COP and really make the most of those those trips and make the most of, of every ounce of carbon. Yeah. But I think you're yeah. right. Like the, you know, we we absolutely need to be making the most of the buildings we already have in this world. And frankly, that's a harder route. That's a harder choice than building a new one. Maybe that's why I like it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. I think, well, I think it, for, for lots of reasons, one of which is that, it just, to me, always feels like, I, I don't know, I like the constraints. Maybe I have a little bit of architect in me in that way. But yeah. Okay. Well, so you mentioned being on the train ride, leaving New York. What are your observations from this first week on the job with your new venture capital hat on? What What do you feel like you're observing so far? Yes. You know, it was such a I think it was a well I think it would have been a crazy week no matter what but I really appreciated that I could go to some of the events like with the climate group and, and WBCSD and and others but also there was so much happening in the climate tech space you know with Cretech and and some you know founders councils and things like that where I could get to get a little taste of the venture capital world as well so it was it was great actually timing <laughs> 
to be able to to literally start my journey into to venture capital sort of it with a foot in both camps if you like because on day one at an event that I went to I literally heard in a panel a buyer of steel talking about how they've set net zero carbon targets or, or, or low or procurement of low carbon steel targets and then an, also a steel producer on the same panel saying we don't have enough demand from industry to produce enough steel so there's you've literally got a buyer on, on one side of the stage saying where's the low carbon steel that I need and then the low carbon steel producer saying well we could produce it but we don't have enough demand and the kind of recurring call for more regulation and you know that is as I'm sure you know from going to these events for several years, that's something that we hear all the time, right? That we need more regulation. In a perfect world, governments would recognise as a problem, implement a regulation that requires people to act or behave in a certain way. And in this case, it means build what we know would be better buildings because we all know how to do that. And then everyone just has to do it. And the problem is that buildings, despite how much time we spend with them or around them, if you ask people on the street that hold their public figures to account, buildings just don't register, right, as, a, as something that they could, could take action on. And so it just never features as highly enough on the priorities list for, for governments and for regulators. And so we're in this situation where people want better buildings. <laughs> we know we need better buildings. We know exactly what we need to do on them. But there isn't enough demand perceived either from the private sector or regulators to pull that trigger on the billions, sometimes trillions of investment that's needed to be able to cost effectively deliver them to market. So for me, the reality is and the message that's still coming through very strongly at Climate Week, and, and there was a lot more talk of action and solutions this year, I felt, I don't know how you felt, Lindsay, which is great, but there's still this kind of undercurrent of we need more regulations. And then back to my example on Local Law 97, we have the regulation, but then we can't go and deliver on it because industry isn't quite ready to deliver against it. So for me, I feel like the private sector has that responsibility to prove what's possible, show it can be done. And then when the government set those policy roadmaps and ultimately those regulations were able to deliver against them. And so for that to happen, of course, we need to activate flows of sustainable finance. We need to be financing the solutions to market that makes, again, those choices easier that means that if a regulation was to come in, the sector's ready to deliver and it's not the first step in a long line of actions that need to be taken. It should be an accelerator of regulation rather than the first step, rather than the initiator. So private finance in particular, I think is a major role to play that. And that's of course where venture capital sits. You know, all finance needs to be linked to performance outcomes. And we know what's needed, for example, to decarbonize that steel or concrete production or, or buildings or whatever it might be. But in some sectors, there's only like one investment cycle left to be able to make those changes between now to 2030. So there's a lot that needs to be done. I think we, we just need to break that stalemate between creating the demand from governments and, and private sector saying we're waiting on governments for regulation. And that's why I think VC and, and climate tech is a really exciting space to be in. I think I heard that in the first half of this year, climate tech work companies working in the built environment closed more than $1.8 billion in venture capital deals, which is the strongest half of the year that that segment has seen and on pace to nearly double funding raised in 2021. So I think it's going to help stimulate 
the changes in industry that's needed by bringing accessible technologies and solutions to market in anticipation of those regulations that are already coming on, they're already on their way. Right. I, Victoria, I am so, I love your perspective on this and it is such an exciting area right now. And I'm so delighted for us that you are in it. <laughs> it's just wonderful. <laughs> and I have so many more questions. I wish we could had time to ask you, but I, we have to keep this moving along. I just, I feel like sure. we have a double session for this, for all the things <laughs> I'd like to ask you about, but I feel that we really do need to ask you if there's a project you're working on right now that you want listeners to know about. Yeah, so again, week two of the roll, so very early days, but we are looking ahead to COP28 already. It's it's just around the corner. It's happening in the first couple of weeks of December, and the 6th of December will be a day that, as a part of other sectors as well, but there will be a focus on the built environment, which is great to have it recognised as part of what's known as the, the thematic agenda for COP this year being in Dubai. There's also lots of ways that the built environment can respond and deliver against some of the priorities of the of the presidency, the COP28 presidency in Dubai, like the energy transition, like the just transition, like nature-based solutions. And we've already talked a lot about finance. So I feel like it's a really good moment this year for built environment at COP. And I'll be there along with the Compass delegation to help demonstrate not only the role of venture capital, but in broader terms, the role of the private sector to, again, help bring these solutions to market, demonstrate to governments that if you implement this regulation, industry is ready and that governments shouldn't be holding back on taking action on their buildings because they feel like industry isn't ready and we want to kind of demonstrate that that's that's possible. So we've got a few ideas for events. I think we're still waiting on a few confirmations, but hopefully there'll be some great opportunities at COP28 to demonstrate not only the role of the private sector, but the role of the built environment and as part of that, the role of venture capital. That's wonderful. And I'm so excited to see that nature-based solutions, for example, are taking such a prominent yes. role at this COP. It's really exciting to me. I'm super excited to see what comes out of all of that. And especially we'll be following your activities there, of course. I want to shift gears just a little bit and ask you a question that's just sort of a little more macro. The green building industry is often thought of as a movement and of course, it's also part of an industry. And I'm just wondering how you think about those things. I mean, do you feel like you're part of an industry or a movement? Or how do you parse that in your head? Yeah, and another great question, given the time of my career that I find myself in, because six weeks ago, I would have said movement. And now I would say industry because of that kind of shift. I mean, I think you know, moments like Climate Week, like Green Build here in DC, some of the enormous green building conferences that happen around the world, you can't help but go there and feel inspired and feel like you're part of a movement. But, you know, at that kind of level, well, Green Building Council level, and even to some extent, the Green Building Councils, it's the members of the members (laughs) that actually do the work, right, that are actually out there delivering the projects and you know as I say demonstrating what what can be done so I feel like as a movement we're all headed in the same direction which is great I think there's really good alignment on the on the direction but I feel like the it's the industry that will help us achieve those goals and it's it's galvanizing both right we both need to be headed in that in that same direction I think personally for for myself and and being able to be a part of both sides of that journey I think has been 
really valuable to see the different perspectives and drivers from from both sides. But I feel like it's the the industry and the practical solution that's going to deliver on the goals that the movement is generating. I love that point. That makes a lot of sense to me. And and I'm also just, it's fun to hear you at this juncture talking about the sort of different <laughs> roles and how they interrelate. And, and, and likewise, I mean, you've actually been talking a lot about this throughout the show, but I want to just give you one last chance on this sort of where are we question. So it's, it's, it's going to be a two-parter for the sake of time, kind of. But where did you think we would be in the 2020s as a movement slash industry? And where do you think the major sort of areas are that we've done well and where have we not done as yeah. well? Okay, sure. So where did I think we'd be? I remember being a green building consultant straight out of university and having a conversation with a mentor of mine. And we thought that by now, you wouldn't need to have sustainability professionals or sustainability design professionals or consultants sitting alongside a design team that these decisions and sustainable building practices would be embedded into projects. And I think we're starting to see that a little bit through kind of sort of standard design playbooks and the way that that projects are following targets and, and things like that. And also in the way that we're seeing these concepts being brought into education, like architecture degrees, you know, into a much stronger extent than when they were perhaps when I was at university. So I think today's students are the architects of the future. And that's a massive area of progress that we've seen. And so in a few years time, we'll have architects who don't know any other way of building apart from more sustainable and regenerative practices, as you say, incorporating nature, really valuing carbon, water, energy, all of the things that we've been preaching for years. It will frankly have to become normal practice versus what it is still considered now as something extra on projects and something that pushes up a premium, <laughs> unfortunately. So I think we're getting closer, but I really, really would have loved to have seen that already by now because we have an enormous amount of growth expected in this sector in some markets that don't have energy codes at all. So unfortunately, we're still locking in those poor performing buildings, you know, that are very energy intensive, don't have the basics covered in terms of energy efficiency. And at the same time, we're layering on more challenges, right? We need to also be addressing water. We need to be thinking about circular economy. We need to be thinking about just transition. You know, there's more things we're adding when we still don't even have the basics of energy efficiency locked into codes. And so unfortunately, we're seeing some high carbon strategies locked in to buildings that are being built today that will ultimately cost more to retrofit in the future as of course we're aware it's more challenging to to retrofit a building so i think the major areas of progress are happening because of trailblazers within the industry the ones that were like you know what we're not going to wait until we're forced to do this we're going to question what's possible We're going to try and build the best building we possibly can. And we're going to share those findings with industry. We're going to help create really sophisticated tools that help inform decisions and specifications and help industry along that journey. And we're seeing better accountability. We're seeing better alignment. The things that I feel like are holding us back are the complexity of the problem. There's just so many moving parts, right? You've got millions of mini decisions on every new building or every renovation project, or even the management of an existing building's portfolio. And a lot of those decisions are made 
in a really fragmented, a fragmented way, in a really siloed way. So we need to kind of <laughs> smash through and break through those barriers. I'm sure you can hear that in my voice. Um, that kind of get rid of the excuses that aren't kind of using not having a perfect definition at the expense of progress or saying, you know, the business case doesn't quite stack up. So I'm going to save a few dollars today. But then that's going to have a massive impact further down the line. So I would love to see every building considered as advancing net zero, you know, not necessarily targeting the highest peak levels of performance, because as we know, that pushes up the premiums, but doing as much as you possibly can as is viable without locking in those high carbon solutions. Try and ensure that your decisions you're making today, you can stand by them and you're proud of them for the future. Low tech solutions are just as important as high tech solutions. I've got lovely thick stone walls in my house in France and no air conditioning when it's 40 degrees Celsius in the summer. That leadership, that choice to really push the boundaries of what's possible helps shape a change in business as usual and helps us shape cultural shifts. So despite all those challenges and, and lack of progress and a kind of frustratingly slow progress in terms of how many buildings we're continuing to build knowingly badly. I'm still optimistic. I'm still hopeful that, you know, thanks to that pioneering work of, of those front runners, we're gonna we're gonna change the way that buildings are built. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I also love the idea of like of these of the low cost and passive solutions that are are, are everywhere and that does it often remind us that we are not that far away from being able to build the way we need to build. Okay, well, I wish we had a lot more time, but we are nearing the end of our time with you. So we want to wrap up with this question about your inspirations and things that keep you going. So who are you most inspired by these days in terms of people around you or projects or anything that comes to mind? Yeah, and... I um, have a few answers to this question, but I'm sure we can't cover them all. I mean, I'm, I think I've touched on it a little bit. I'm inspired by those trailblazers. I've heard some amazing names of, of people that have your, your previous guests have been inspired by, but I'm most inspired by the buildings that I've visited and toured around and, and heard the stories about, you know, people that have really pushed the boundaries no matter what, right? No matter what the priority, whether it was to get a better building as an outcome, whether it was to test the system, whether it was to, you know, be a pilot, whether it was to prove whether you could build it with you know, materials within a certain distance, right? Whatever the driver is, there's, there's people out there who are really helping demonstrate what's possible if you can really set your mind to it and say, you know, I want my grand grandchildren to be proud of these decisions I'm making today and not just building what they can get away with. Because it's those buildings, those projects, those people that are really helping prove what's possible. You know, what if we made this building all electric or the really powerful one? Why are we choosing not to make or operate this building at net zero? Why are we choosing not to do that? And if you put that back to design teams or to investors or to policymakers, that can be really quite a powerful question. And I think it brings some incredible outcomes as a result. So I'm inspired by those people who are really pushing the boundaries of, of what's possible and, and demonstrating that. And I'm also inspired by the Green Building Councils because some of them are operating with incredibly low resources, massive constraints, 
and yet are some of the most resilient, determined people I've ever met, you know, all working towards a common cause, all inspired, and I can't help but be inspired by their dedication. And so I'd really encourage you, wherever you're listening from, if you're not already in touch with your local Green Building Council, who of course we're going to spend a lot of time with this week in DC, the US Green Building Council. There's about 75 across the world as part of the World GBC Network, and please do find out how you can get involved with them. They've got all sorts of programs for education, and even some of them have future leader programs and, and so on. They can really help you figure out what you could do within this space. And then finally, I'd like to say that I'm inspired by my nieces and my nephews. Some of them are at, at an age of where they're asking lots of questions. <laughs> like, but why? <laughs> I hear a lot. <laughs> And I feel like we don't ask that enough in our daily lives as built environment practitioners. Like, but why are we choosing to connect to gas? But why are we choosing not to make this building net zero, right? And if you answer a question that a child asks you with like what seems to you to be really obvious and they get that kind of frown on their face, like it doesn't make sense to them. Like it's just not logical, right? And I feel like we should be inspired by that. And I want to be inspired by that because I want them to be able to choose to get on a flight and visit the most incredible parts of the world that this incredible planet has to offer and not have to choose not to take that flight because we blew our carbon budget because we kept building bad buildings. So I'm inspired by them and their future and yeah, for, for all future generations out there that we simply have to be held much more accountable for the choices we're making today on, on how we build and, and use our buildings. I love that. I love that, especially just thinking about the idea that the more we might be able to get our shit together, pardon my French, and, and like, you know, live within our own carbon budget, the more that our kids and grandchildren will get to like travel to see yeah, things it's just one of many things but yeah it's the it's the carbon budget that we are stealing from them and yeah I, I, that's very inspiring well thank you for that and thank you so much victoria for being with us today on the podcast it has been fabulous to have you thank and you. Uh, thanks for taking the time out from the from the busy <laughs> from the busy travel of course that we are that's in. wonderful uh, yes and um thanks kira you are not missing too much. Don't worry. Oh, no. I know that's not true, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you guys are both there. So, yeah. No, I, I, I wish I were there. I know we can't be there every year, but still. Yes. Yes. Enjoy. Um, enjoy. But that is why we are here doing what we do for those of you who just want to hang out via podcast with us. So with that, that is it for us this week on the Design the Future podcast. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Please leave us a review on Apple. It really matters. It helps people find us. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.